This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Sebastian Martel, CFO of BRP, makers of Stidoo, Stidoo, and Can-Am products, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leadership Podcast. Bonus episode. Hi, it's Jack, and welcome to what will be a bonus episode of CFO Thought Leader. We're going to do something a little different today. Dave Kellogg, who has joined us on this podcast in the past, he is today an independent board member for a number of Silicon Valley companies. Uh, He is the former CEO, as some of you might recall, CEO of Host Analytics. He had given a talk last spring at Perform, which is Host's annual customer conference on the subject of CFOs, metrics, and the board, and how to bring certain metrics to the attention of your board, what's done, what's not. I knew some of his thinking on this subject would be of interest to this audience, so I approached him at the time and expressed my interest in having him share his thoughts with you. He promised he would, and he came through. I caught up with him earlier this month, and I thought I'd share our discussion here and now. Uh, so enjoy. This is your, your Labor Day weekend bonus. We'll begin right after this. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers at every opportunity has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for five years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com slash middlemarket. Well, Dave, thank you uh, for letting us catch up with you and touch on this subject, which we do think our listeners will find quite interesting. Again, uh, just very broadly, we're going to be talking about metrics and the board. And uh, to start off with, it would seem... Uh, that uh, there are some pretty obvious uh, metrics that are of concern uh, to most board members. Just to, to mention ARR, clearly, uh, annual recurring revenue is probably top of mind. I would imagine uh, ACV or annual contract value uh, for certain boards uh, and, of course, lifetime customer value. I mean, am I right? Is it uh, sort of the, um, the ones we might expect? Sure. I mean, I think there, there are some that are always in common, and certainly, you know, a- ending ARR, how much ARR you end the period with is one that will be, in my opinion, should be the very first metric, is unless, here we go again, this is why they vary, unless you're worried about sales, in which case the first metric should be new ARR, right? And, and that's a good example um, of the distinction, which is, yeah, the, the, it's the usual suspects. I mean, if you're on a SaaS board, you're going to be talking about ARR. But, but the issue is maybe it's an older company and you're worried about growth, in which case your top-of-mind metric might be new ARR. How's sales doing at putting more ARR in the bucket? 
or, or say it's actually an old big company with slow sales growth, but, but excellent customer expansion, that then you're going to want to be looking at, okay, we're not getting our ARR growth from the sales team primarily, but from our customer success team. So how are we doing with expansion? So, you know, in the end, ARR is ARR is ARR, but as a function of a company's evolution and strategy, there, there are times when you're really focused on new ARR from new customers. There are times you're focused on new ARR from existing customers, i.e. upsell. Um, and unfortunately, there's also times when you're focused on churn, <laughs> where, where all of a sudden, all the sales stuff looks normal, but, but you've got a leak in your bucket, and, and all this good ARR that sales is putting in is leaking out a year later. So, so that's really the nuance. All of these things get looked at. It's really a question of priority and focus. Now, is there a, a discussion around how, uh, at that level, is there a discussion around how things are being reported or when? I mean, is there a concern that the board might have that they're not seeing these numbers until they've been, you know, polished up or glossed over or somebody has a different uh, set of numbers? Well, I think, I think there's a huge amount of presentation. Uh, I'll give you an example. Let's just pretend it's a company where sales seems to be doing okay and customer success seems to be do, doing okay. Um, so we don't have any big red flags up to go look anywhere, but, but we're worried about growth efficiency. We don't seem to be growing as fast as we might given all the money we're spending. In that case, there's a metric I would want to look at, which is net new ARR, right? New ARR brought in by sales minus ARR that leaked out due to churn. Because in, in the context I gave, you want to say, hey, if we're burning $3 million a quarter, how come net new ARR is only going up by two? <laughs> um, that's not a very scalable growth model. So, and I think, you know, sometimes management teams want to hide things. Let's say you were having growth efficiency challenges. Maybe you don't want to put those two numbers next to each other because somebody's going to look at it and go, wait a minute, we spent $3 million to get $2 million. Um, This is not good. So, so I do believe that happens. I, I do believe sometimes people are just sloppy in presentation. Um, but sometimes, you know, another classic example is, is actually the opposite one, where sales is doing really well, but there's a lot of churn, and they kind of want to hide that by just showing net new. They don't even show churn. So they say, hey, here's our net new ARR on the quarter. And, 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 and I'm going to be like, well, wait a minute. How, how much did sales put in and how much did customer success leave out? Because, you know, I want to see both elements of that. So I wouldn't say that it's rocket science, but, but I think there's an enormous amount of presentation. And, and I always think of this as shining a light on something. And for any given company, we want to shine a light on what its issue is. Now, is this a, uh, is this a give and take, or can the board be pretty uh, persuasive or just, just, just sort of demand, hey, we, we want to see – net new ARR on a regular basis, and we want to understand the sales input, and, and as you just described, we want that all visible when we sit down to this meeting, and it hasn't happened the last two times. What What is going on? I mean, is that is that ever the, the scenario, or am I exaggerating? Uh, that can happen. I mean, that can certainly happen. I mean, I think a lot of it is really – I'd say the management philosophy of the company, you know, I think in, in a private equity owned business, you, you, it's not so rare that you just get handed a template <laughs> and, and say, you know, we own 20 other SaaS businesses and here's how they all report. And we want you to fill in this template because, you know, we're comfortable with it and we know how to analyze it. And we think it's really good. If you want to make changes, come talk to me. But, but, you know, 
kind of, you know, firmly but nicely, just fill in the template, please. Um, I think that would be the more PE style approach. I think on the VP boards that I've worked on, it's just a little bit more open. They, they don't really, they, they feel like it's micromanagement to tell people exactly how to report stuff. You know, hey, you're an experienced CFO. You've been doing this for a long time. You know how to report stuff. You know what the issues are that are important to us. Of course, given that we're talking about growth efficiency, we need to see net new ARR compared to operating cash burn. So please make sure that's in there. Um, and, and that usually works. So, so I think the tone of the dialogue varies, but the, the, the res and the result actually varies. Because the PE side, it's much more about filling the template. And on the VC side, I'd, I'd say it's really much more about kind of collaboration to, to get the right metrics. Now, I have to believe at times, too, uh, there are different ways of measuring churn. And uh, certain finance folks might go to the trouble of uh, – because they know they're turning the corner, but it's not yet visible in the churn number, they might have another way of measuring something that they want to reveal to the board uh, to, to send a positive signal that we're headed in the right direction. It's not reflected in that number. Is that am – I, am I characterizing something that's off, not likely to happen, yeah. or is that sometimes happen? Oh, gosh, there's a lot of ways to measure churn, and management teams definitely, um, let's just say they definitely play with it. Uh, I think a lot of it is just some of it's subtlety, some of it's difference of opinion. Um, you know, I mean, look, one of the most classic ways to, to confuse churn is, you know, if we lost a million dollars in, in ARR this quarter, the numerator is pretty clear, right? And that, that part's hard to fudge, <laughs> but the denominator is surprisingly fudgeable. Well, a million out of what? Out of a set of ARR that was supposed to renew this quarter, which was 10 million, so it was 10% churn, or just say we do multi-year deals out of an entire ARR base of 30 million, in which case it's only 3% churn. And, and obviously there's a world of difference between 3% and 10%, and if I don't know how you're calculating, uh, I could come to a, a very different conclusion. So churn, I think, is actually a fairly manipulatable metric. Um, the other way to manipulate churn, there's really two ways to manipulate churn. One is via the denominator, uh, and the other is also, unfortunately, via the numerator, which is, did you say before or after upsell, right? So we had a million dollars of churn. Oh, that was net churn. That was actually 1.5 of upsell offset by 2.5 in churn, if I did the math right, right? Or, or was that gross churn where it's just, oh, this is the total value that got lost. We lost a million dollars, and then we upsold, uh, you know, 500 on top of that, so the net was only 500. So, so I think just right there I've given you four different ways of calculating churn. I, I, if you give me more time, I could confuse you further. Um, so, so I do think churn is manipulatable. I, I do think you're correct in how people – what they do with it. And I think on this one, though, there's a pretty clear answer. I think the world is moving towards net dollar expansion rate because, in my mind, it's a much more meaningful metric, and it's it's harder to make confusing. <laughs> you take a cohort of people a year ago. If they were worth 100 what are they worth today? Um, and that metric, there is one way to cheat on that metric, which is called survivor bias, which is you take the customers today and compare them to a year ago. Um, as opposed to taking customers a year ago and comparing them to today, so see the survivor bias built in. But provided you don't survivor bias your net dollar expansion rate, I do see the industry moving that as to the standard metric, um, and that's one that's going to have benchmark and comparable value, and it's one that, in my mind, is clearer and less gameable. I feel like churn and lifetime value are actually kind of fading as metrics because of some of the stuff you talked about. 
Can I ask about customer lifetime customer value? Am I, sure. There seems to be many ways of calculating this, and from some of the finance leaders I've spoken with, they have their own sort of uh, variation of the formula. So here is yet another metric that boards may approach with some apprehension as it's discussed uh, during a board meeting. Yeah, there's not. Customer lifetime value is particularly problematic because remember how I talked about kind of two by two, I use four different ways of calculating churn rate. Well, in my mind, customer lifetime value is just the inverse of the churn rate, right? If I have a 10% churn rate, then I have a 10-year customer lifetime value. So it's, it, it has all the weaknesses of churn because there's different ways to calculate churn, and, and uh, LTV is just the inverse of churn, and it has other ones, which is what do you do when your churn rate is negative? Then your lifetime value goes into it, right? If, in fact, uh, we're using a churn that's done on a net basis, so if I start with a million units and I lose 50, but I add 100, I end up with 1050. I have negative churn of 50, so I have a negative 5% churn rate. When I invert that, I have an infinite lifetime value. So, so, so LTV is another metric. Like I view churn and LTV as kind of tied together, and I feel like they're fading because of this ambiguity and complexity, and the world just realized that net dollar expansion rate is a much simpler and, and much easier way to, to look at things. So as a member of a number of different boards, give us some uh, – give CFOs some advice. What is it that you're looking for, really? The, the first thing we want as a board member is, is numbers that we trust, right? And, and that trust is easily eroded. You know, one mistake in a number makes us worry about every number in the deck. And, you know, if we had a room with 100 board members in it, Jack, and we said, raise your hand if in the past year you've seen a board deck where the numbers don't fit, I bet that every hand would go up in, in that room. Um, and that's not, not a good thing for a CFO. It's, it's not a good thing for a CEO when the board is like, yeah, we believe your numbers mostly, you know, <laughs> and, and it makes me uncomfortable that the, the number for buildings on page 43 doesn't foot to the number for buildings on page 107. That, that makes me uncomfortable. So I was really operating at that level that, you know, we care about compliance. We care about trust. We care about uh, shareholder value creation, we care about growth, and we care about profitability. Those are the five things I said the board really cares about, uh, kind of kind of a higher level. So we didn't really drive into specific metrics. We talked more about the, er the areas the metrics should be measuring. What advice would you have for a CFO walking in for the first time to, uh, to, to a board that is unhappy with past numbers that have been put before it? I'll be pretty practical on this one, which is when you first show up, the odds are that you yourself don't know how every metric is calculated and where everything came from and what database it was pulled from. And, you know, you don't know the limits on the numbers. So I, I think the first step in honesty is at your kind of first meeting, say, look, I'm, I'm not on top of all this stuff because it's almost impossible that I am, but I'm presenting you the stuff the way it's always been presented and calculated the way it's always been calculated. Um, so you get that on the table, and, and then you ask for questions. What, what do you guys care about? What are you nervous about? What have you seen not footing? Because um, for whatever reason, certain – I won't go into it, but, but, but ask what the concern areas are, and I think that's very important. Um, and then from there, I actually think there's two ways to do it. I've, I've seen it work one of two ways. I'm going to say it's the, kind of the, the high-level way and the low-level low way. The high-level way is, is just to do what you said, ask in very broad terms to the whole board as a group, where are you concerned about the numbers? Can you show me decks or reports that have scared you in the past? Um, and then I'm going to go figure out how to make sure we can get quality, reliable numbers in there. Um, and I am going to, uh, to 
submit to you to make sure that uh, I know how they're sourced and where they come from. Uh, that's the high-level way of doing it. Uh, but because the devil is the detail on metrics, once in a while I actually think that it helps for a new CFO to go offline with the two or three board members who really care about this stuff and create kind of a metrics committee, <laughs> not a permanent one. But, you know, for the next three months, we're going to meet once a, once a week with me, my FP&A head, and the two board members who really care about this, uh, and then go bang out some new templates and bring that back to the board. So, and I think a lot of which way you go depends on who's on your board and, and how tough the situation is. But, but I think, you know, if, if it's really modest problems and it's high level, I think you can tackle it in the whole board pretty easily. But, but if there really is some bad history uh, and things are really broken and you've got several super quantitative MBAs on your board who really live and die for this stuff, then, then don't do it in the board meeting. Take it offline to a committee and put the time into it to build the new templates where everybody knows what they mean um, and then start populating those. Are, are, are board members, uh, do board members have sort of dashboards today? You're referring to these templates, and I just assume that they're done quarterly or whenever the board meets, they're updated. But, uh, you know, again, we're, we keep on hearing the buzz phrase, real-time data. I mean, I, I would think that would be pretty frightening if a CFO was to give real-time feeds to visibility into some of the data to the board members where he or she's not there to help qualify it. I think it's important to understand when kind of when time is meaningful to a metric. Uh, and what does that mean? It, it means, for example, we'll take enterprise software where I've spent my career. In reality, if you're trying to measure sales in enterprise software, it's, it's meaningful at the quarterly level for sure. It may be meaningful at the monthly level if your sales VP runs a monthly cadence. But, but if your sales VP doesn't run a monthly cadence and the whole organization runs on the quarter and the comp plans are all about sales within a quarter and everyone's thinking about a quarter, you know, you can tell me January and February sales, but it's not super meaningful, right? And if you try to tell me sales at the weekly level, it would be meaningless. Now, on the flip side, if that company runs with a monthly cadence, people have monthly quotas, people have monthly performance targets, then looking at monthly data could be meaningful. So the, the biggest thing when it comes to real-time data to me is like, look, the text can enable anything. So, so we have to be careful what we ask, which is when, you know, at what frequency do we actually get meaningful data points? Um, and I think, for example, in enterprise software, when it comes to sales, it's, it's quarterly or monthly. You, you could give me a, a you know, a, a, a feed every minute, but it's not going to change very much. Um, so uh, that said, you know, there definitely is a linkage between these numbers and these board packs. And, you know, most of the people I work with are either in venture capital firms or private equity firms, and they definitely have templates for each of their companies. And, uh, and most of this is not done via data integration. You can almost hear the keys clicking in the background <laughs> as you mail out your monthly pack. You can feel them populating you know, their monthly LP update or their monthly database because there's typically not that many numbers that they're moving, right? They're not moving a lot of operating metrics. They're going to move financial metrics primarily. But, uh, but there is a level of data integration there. But, again, it doesn't need to be real time. I mean, it needs to be fast, right, in the sense of, hey, when the quarter's closed, I want that quickly. Uh, but that's really a function of closing the books. Um, yeah, it's funny. I'd almost make a distinction between fast at the end of a period versus kind of continuous in real time because it's not really meaningful continuous real time, but, but boy, fast is good. When the period's closed, faster the better. Now, can you, uh, the movement from, say, the quarterly to a monthly cadence with the sales organization, 
Um, that's something that's been quite visible over the last few years, that more sales organizations are marching to a, a, a monthly cadence. And I would think the private equity community is one of the main drivers to, to move sales organizations in that direction. Or would you not describe it that way? Well, I think first, yes, uh, more organizations are moving to a monthly cadence. And I would say certainly the more it's a velocity model, the, you know, lots of small deals as opposed to fewer big deals, uh, the more they're moving to a monthly cadence. You know, if you've got a high-end enterprise model where reps do one or two $2 million deals a year to hit a $4 million quota or a $3 million quota, I, I think that's maybe not on a monthly model, right? Because in reality, that almost feels annual. But, but if you're running mid-market reps or SMB reps, absolutely, the cadence, wherever possible, let's say, and wherever practical, is moving more towards monthly. I think there's two drivers behind that, Jack. One, I would say in general, the PE firms, they, they definitely like tight operational ships, <laughs> right? So, so, you know, they're, they're going to start with a position, I think, of why can't we do it monthly, right? Because there, there's no reason, you know, anybody said we couldn't run monthly. Um, so I think you'll get pressure from the PE side. But, but even on the VC side, having worked on VC boards for many years, the backloading of sales makes, makes boards want sales VCs to have a monthly target and a monthly cadence because just almost no matter what you do, it seems, and I've seen so, I've seen so many different attempts to the quote-unquote linearity problem or the backloading problem um, that really the best way to do it is just have monthly targets and monthly numbers and go after them um, And because boards are tired of, you know, 95% of sales happening in the last week and a quarter. You know, it, that, that's the root cause problem. And uh, the, the fix is a monthly cadence. I wanted to see if you would uh, look into the future for us and tell us what uh, boards are going to be asking for next. And I know in earlier uh, interviews that you've had, you, you've touched on um, some of the risks that are involved as things get, you know, more advanced and more sophisticated. What, what would you tell us? increasingly boards want more sophisticated analysis, right? They, they want to know why something happened and that's going to drive us to do more regression models and more advanced analysis. And, and it just reminded people that, you know, find the core. I had some fun examples of correlation, not causation. For example, the number of, uh, here, here's one of my favorite examples. In fact, that deaths by drowning and ice cream sales both increased in the summer months. But, you know, but let's not go conclude that eating ice cream causes drowning, right? <laughs> there's an underlying cause that during the summer months, it's warmer, therefore more people are swimming, therefore more people are drowning, right? Um, so, so I just gave a little bit of lecture that as we go forward, when we get into these advanced analytics, there's a lot of room for peril. And I think boards are actually aware of that. I think boards are a little wary of being advanced analytics. Um, and, and, and people need to be careful for making these kinds of uh, mistakes using these more advanced models. Hey, Dave, thanks for the time. Thank you for joining us on CFO Thought. Thanks a lot, Jack. It was great to talk to you again. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.